everybody. Welcome to the Living Real Podcast. I'm Melanie Shaw, your host, as well as founder and editor-in-chief of Living Real Magazine. On the 10th of each month, I will get to introduce you to someone that I've met who has a sincere desire to live out their real faith in real life. Someone who doesn't mind sharing their struggles because they want to encourage us to stay the course. Someone who's overcome and can testify to the faithfulness of Almighty God. I'm so excited about each conversation that we're gonna have, and I pray God will use our words to bring glory to His Son, Jesus Christ. So are you ready? I know I am. Well, thank you for tuning in to the Living Real Podcast. This is our 10th episode, and I could not be more excited about our guest. His name is Dr. Wayne Edwards, and I want to tell you a little bit about him before we get started. He's the pastor of Heritage Baptist Church in Perry, Georgia. He's a graduate of Columbia International University. He's the founder of Mature Ministries, a discipleship ministry which encourages God's people to raise the standard of righteousness in their personal lives. He and his sweet wife, Linda, also organized Nicaragua Missions, a discipleship training ministry to the pastors in Nicaragua and the North American teams that travel with them. Wayne is the author of several books, including Raising the Standard, Requisite for Revival, The Essential Doctrines of the Christian Faith, Rediscovering Your First Love for God, and Keeping Love Alive, Building Oneness in Marriage. Um, Wayne has also written several Going Deeper articles for our magazine, Living Real, and it is just a pleasure to have you with me today, Wayne. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for the invitation. Well, I thought, you know, I could give you the the formal introduction, but I thought it would be kind of interesting for our audience to hear how we met um, from your recollection. So let's see what you remember. Well, I remember the fact that uh, you came into our youth group. Uh, we had just been started, and God was really blessing it through a discipleship-type ministry. And I think you were on a date with uh, the person who's now your husband. But, you know, I really thought I was going to have to give him uh, lots of encouragement to see how wonderful and beautiful that you were, because he was sort of looking over the other side while you were sitting beside him. But but evidently, God had his way in the two of you together, and y'all had a great marriage two great kids and a great ministry there at Trinity. So I'm very proud to have been a part of what God was doing in your life in those days. But I do remember you later on as being uh, one of the leaders of the group. And, you know, as you know, I always, when I poured into your life, I expected you guys to pour it into somebody else's life. And you caught on to that very quickly. And I appreciate the fact that you're still doing that, obviously, uh, at this time in your life. So thank you again for having me here. Well, you are quite welcome. You have uh, been a part of our lives in in a very intricate way um, for a very long time. I was telling Wayne a little earlier, if he didn't remember how old I was when I first met him, um, I was 17, and my husband now and I were on a blind date, and our blind date was 
at Bible study sitting under Wayne. So, um, you know, we go a long way back and he has definitely poured into our lives. And I know what discipleship looks like because I've experienced it with him. And I think that's why um, discipleship, Wayne, is so important to me and pouring um, into women's lives, especially um, during these years of ministry that God has um, blessed me with. So thank you so much for what you and Linda have um, poured into us. We could not love you any more than we do right now. Thank you very much, and we praise the Lord for it all. Well, thank you. Yes, we do. All right. we. I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit today, um, especially concerning the circumstances into which we are living um, in America, what some things look like around the world. And I picked up your book, Silent No More, um, this afternoon just to kind of jog my memory a little bit of what you were writing just five years ago. And what I was reading sounds like you could have written it this afternoon um, because it is so spot on as to where we have been as a nation, um, what we have done as a nation, and where we are headed um, as a nation, but not just a nation. I, I, my heart aches more for the church itself because sure, I think sure, the sure. church is where we've fallen short and the nation follows um, where God's people are. So could you just maybe talk a little bit first before we talk in about all that, the consequences, what are some of the blessings maybe that you've seen come out of this 2020 debacle that we've been living well, first of all, I'd say that uh, we found out that we we do need families. Um, we do need um, people to to stand beside us in those times of, of, of trial and struggle. Perhaps their greatest lesson in life is that I've learned through this is life is not always what you think it's going to be or maybe what you plan for it to be, but it's going to be something that we have to trust God moment by moment and day by day. We we need to make our plans for the future, but we have to give God freedom to, to adjust those plans because he is teaching us something in every situation of life. There's a lesson to be learned. And it's not always to help us discover how we can have our best life now, but it's always to tell us that there is a blessed hope beyond this life. This life is not all there is. This life is mm -hmm. not all that it's been cracked up to be. If it is, then stop the world and let me off or beam me up scotty whichever one you want to do but this life is always going to be what it is right now it's going to be one uh, situation after the other that's why we look forward to the imminent return of christ because that is our only blessed hope so that's mm -hmm. what we see so on the heels of this we need to be reminded that that uh, but for example in our work in nicaragua we found out this years ago we would go visit families who have none of the essentials that we have today. But in our time of discussion that night, one of the comments would always be, but Pastor Wayne, they have joy. Mm -hmm. They have true joy. They have nothing that we have. And we think, they, oh, how can they be happy and not have all these different things? And so we're finding out, guess what? We can have a little joy without all these things. And that's the best lesson I think we've learned is that we don't need all these worldly things to be happy in the Lord. Exactly. We were talking about that in Sunday school um, yesterday because we are doing the book of James. And, you know, the, the famous verse out of that is to consider it all joy. 
And it just, as, as much as I've studied joy, and even in my own book that I wrote with my story, talking about what joy is, it finally just, God just simplified it to one word. It's trust. And if we can trust in who God says He is and that He's going to do what He says He's going to do, that's where our joy comes from. It doesn't matter what's happening around us, what the circumstances are, or anything else. Real joy comes from having it settled <laughs> that we are trusting and believing in who God is. Well, the lady said to me yesterday, she said, I've I appreciate the fact that what I'm seeing on marquees and hearing from some of the pastors are words of encouragement, but what I'm not seeing is the words of purpose. Hmm. What is the purpose behind this? What is the cause behind this? And what what is God trying to tell us? Where does this fit in the uh, in the scriptures? Where does this fit in our progress of redemption? Because we got to understand, no matter how, what the source of this pandemic, and I'm not sure if it's a pandemic, probably more of a pandemic, mm-hmm. but whatever the source was. Then um, and whatever the intentions of Satan were, God has superintended it in order for our good, and we have to we have to understand where this is in the scriptures in order to have that blessed hope. It's not just a hope that we'll get through this. Mm-hmm. That's that's okay, but our hope is not in this world. If we get through it, guess what? There's going to be another storm behind it. That's right. That's right. Um, so if you could. If you could give Christians a word for what they should take away from this, how would you how would you um, put that? Well, I think um, two things. It's caused all the Christians to sort of uh, reevaluate our priorities. That time alone with each other is very important. That we don't have to have some event or activity on the calendar twenty four seven. It's just okay to sit around and do nothing except love on one another and talk to each other. You know, we're texting and we're emailing and we're messaging and all the other things, but we're not communicating. Mm. And so if the power goes down, it's a blessing because we sit, we have to talk to each other. And that's that's one of the blessings, I think, of every family. And I've heard some fathers say, praise the Lord. You know, our family sat down and talked last night. Wow. Uh, for the first time in a long time, we were just together. Mm. And I think this pandemic has also caused every local church to sort of reevaluate its priorities. Uh, here at Heritage, we were a small church, but um, even for the few weeks that we did not have open services, we had a full-blown worship service for those who who um, viewed us online. Mm-hmm. For example, we, we didn't do anything different than we do every Sunday. We cut it. We didn't cut it shorter. We didn't adjust the content. We didn't dress it down. In other words, we held worship. And I think, mm-hmm. are we going to? Are we going to lower our concept of God just because we're going through some financial crisis or other type of crisis? I don't think so. I noticed many other pastors just had a, like a morning devotional or small group Bible study. Or um, In other words, it, it, it was though if they couldn't have the choirs and the musicians and the flashing lights and the fog machines, why they couldn't have worship? Right. Well, guess what we, guess, guess what we found? It's not that that creates worship. It might create the atmosphere of spirituality, but not true worship. Mm. Worship is whether two or three are gathered together in the name of the Lord. And I was really taken aback when so many pastors seemed to kind of dumb everything down and say, well, because of this, we're not going to have that and we're not going to have the other. Right. Secondly, when the quarantine was lifted, I, I didn't understand why pastors didn't do everything they could to call their people to worship. Mm. 
and then to hear some of them say, oh, we're canceling our, our services until the next year. How ludicrous is that? Exactly. I mean, people are hurting. People are dying. I mean, I have homebound members that we tried to stay in contact with them. Members in the nursing home that we tried to uh, tried to stay in contact with. They're hurting. They're alone and they're hurting. This is the time when the church needs to be the body of Christ. Right. It, it's not about coming together to do something. It's about being the body of Christ and scattering to do for others. And even going among those, even going among those who are infected to provide comfort. And what would we do? We have missionaries in areas today where they risk being infected with all sorts of lethal diseases. Right. If we apply the same principle, what would bring them home? Mm-hmm. Well, who's going to share the gospel with those people, for heaven's sake? It breaks my heart to see the church doors closed. So I pray that we can use this pandemic to reevaluate our family priorities. I also pray that we'll use it to reevaluate our church priorities because if we don't, I got a feeling that sooner or later the church is not going to be essential um, going forward. Yes, and there's nothing more essential than the body of Christ. That's right. It needs to be open. I said this before. If the church, if the churches were filled with people, and the pulpit was aflame with God's word, some of this demonic and satanic activity that's going on in the world today uh, would be squelched. Exactly, because it has to flee. It would have to flee. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, well, let's um, let's talk a little bit then about what you see or how you see God's Word speaking to what's happening here and around the world today. I know that your sermon series, you have actually um, are calling that your mini or the sermon series Prophecy 101, where you are just opening up the Word and helping people to understand God's timetable, the um, Israel, the history of Israel, how we look at his the Israel to determine sometimes what's going on with us. So right. tell me a little bit about what, what you're doing to um, keep your people informed and current as to what's going on in the world. Well, again, thank you very much for the opportunity. We had uh, what, what's kind of spurred this new sermon series is called Prophecy 101, um, the unfolding drama of God's redemption. And uh, of course, I've, what I've, all I've done is just taken the scripture from basically the last days of the church age, and we'll have, have two more as we end up the series, next Sunday being life in the millennial, and of course in life in the new heaven and the new earth. So we, we kind of put the things in sequential order uh, throughout the last um, seven or eight sermons here. Mm-hmm. But and it's amazing that I did receive an email today that said I never knew there was so much to learn about God's plan of redemption, and I need to learn it in a hurry. When I, I emailed her back and I said, no, you can learn it, but you can't learn it in a hurry. You're <laughs> going to have to take your time and, and put it into order. Mm-hmm. When I was at Columbia, there was a class um, that I really loved and really enjoyed and, and would have taken it twice had I had the time, and it was called The Progress of Redemption. And when I took that class, the light came on that we're living in a linear world. There was a time when time began, there will be a time when time will be no more. And so how much time have, have uh, has elapsed since the beginning of time, and then therefore how much time do we have left until time will be no more? And when you narrow all that down and you see where we are, and you do that by several things, the, the seven feasts of Israel, 
mm-hmm. and then the seven churches of Revelation. And the characteristics of those seven churches pretty much dictate where we are in this for the last 2,000 years. And so the characteristics of the Philadelphian church is what most of us grew up in. And the, because the majority of the church was mission-minded, ministry-minded, you have hospitals and nursing homes and missionaries around the world. I mean, you had evangelistic growth and discipleship ministries. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, coming in the background, you also had the Laodicean-type churches, the church that's uh, designed by man for the benefit of man. And that's going to be the last church um, that will exist on the earth prior to the tribulation. Mm-hmm. So when you start narrowing all this down and you're seeing the demise of primarily the Philadelphian-type evangelical churches and the rise of the Laodicean churches, then you can mark where you are. And you can see that we're just about at the end of the church age, the age of grace, and where God's plan of redemption is going to take its next step. Mm-hmm. And that's the rapture of the church, and then the tribulation, and then the final revelation of Jesus Christ about seven lunar years later. So putting this in order has helped people to understand where we are. And here was a problem. When the when the virus came out, people began to read over in Revelation 7, Revelation 8, Revelation 9. Oh, this is the end times. We're already in the Revelation. No, 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 no. We can't be there yet. Why? Well, this hasn't happened, and that hasn't happened, and this hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are seeing the, the falling away. We are seeing the apostasy. And we are seeing some of the signs of that. But we're still here. The church is still here. Right. And if the church is still here, then we can't be in Revelation 12. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to help people to understand, the time uh, brackets of uh, biblical history. And if they can get that, then they won't be taken in by everything that's going on right. in the world. Oh, these are the last days. It may, be, it may very well be, but these events have to happen in order because God is a God of order. And that's, that's what we're trying to say. Right. And it's been amazing to, uh, to hear the response on these sermons. Well, I I know that you don't call yourself a prophet, but I know oh, no, you, no, you no, call no. yourself a watchman. So help um, people understand what what is it that watchmen do as far as the church is concerned? Well, you have to study in biblical prophecy um, all the Old Testament prophets. I mean, that's where the prophecy uh, originated. And it's not only a prophecy of the first coming of Christ, it's a prophecy regarding the return of Christ. It's one one event with two phases. And so you have to be able to understand biblical prophecy from that perspective mm-hmm. and, and separate those two things out. For example, Isaiah, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Well, we know what? That is referring to the first coming of Christ as, as the babe in the manger. But uh, he will be given, you know, the government of the world will be upon his shoulders. Well, that hasn't happened yet. And so you, you fast forward, that hasn't happened. Well, when is it going to happen? When Jesus Christ comes again as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hmm. So you begin yeah. to look at biblical prophecy from the phases, and then you can begin to see some of the events in the world that point to that. For example, uh, the world events right now, the staging of the, of, the, of the nations that will come against Israel in the Gog-Magog War of Ezekiel 38-39. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 37 talks about the return of Israel, uh, the, turn of the return of the Jews to Israel. Mm-hmm. We probably all sang songs and heard the stories about them bones and bones and dry bones. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Ezekiel 36, 37. And, 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 and not only three million Jews a year coming back to, to, uh, 
to uh, to Israel, Israel. and they're making it their home. Well, that's the fulfillment. 1948, for the first time in the history of man, a nation became a nation twice. Israel became a nation again for the second time in 19, May 14, 1948. That's a significant event. Mm-hmm. And that is the backdrop upon which all prophecy watchmen then right. are working to see what else is going to go on as we lead up to A, the rapture of the church, B, the tribulation, and C, the return of Christ. Got it. So we're watching for those signs. Now, they're not, some people call them birth pains. Mm-hmm. There really aren't birth pains until the beginning of the tribulation, but they're just signs. In other words, the the um, the uh, earthquakes out in California right now. I mean, it's it's kind of humming. They're just having a. And somebody asked me yesterday, "What does that mean pro- uh, prophetically?" I said, "Really, nothing except if there are earthquakes now of this magnitude, what will there be?" In the, trip, in the time of tribulation, because right. the Bible says there will be earthquakes like the world has never seen before. Exactly. So God has given us warnings in, in storms and other issues here of what's going to happen in a greater capacity in the time of tribulation. Right. Okay. Because I, um, I know you pay close attention, and I know that a watchman is a person that does that, but I wanted you to explain that to our audience because um, prophecy's already been declared. We now are just watching it unfold. That, that's the thing. That's the title of the sermon: the unfolding drama of God's redemption, and, mm-hmm. all, and all this prophecy is a part of it. Now, there's there's a warning if we have time here. Sure. There are a lot of conspiracy theories out there. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have a discerning spirit to understand the difference between prophecy and prediction. Right. Uh, prop, biblical prophecy is not predicting anything. Biblical prophecy is simply understanding what God has already determined to happen. Oh, Period. I like that. Yes, that's a great way to put it. All right. Well, then what do you, how do you see the church faring then in America today? Well, not good, uh, Melanie. It's one in five churches, I understand, may not open even after the virus is gone. Mm. Um, That came out several weeks ago. Uh, By every survey, the evangelical church um, is a lot, well, much more spiritually weak, uh, spiritually weaker today than it has been at any point in my lifetime. A recent survey by, I think, Ligonier Ministries that was released by Lifeway a couple of weeks ago so the large percentage of the millennial age adults who attended church on a regular basis before COVID-19 said they believed Jesus was a good man, a good teacher, a good model, but they didn't believe that he was truly God in the flesh. Hmm. Well, we got a problem. How can that be? If he was not Lord of all, then he could not be our Savior. And more importantly, how could they be claimed to be Christians when they cannot confess Jesus Christ as Lord? So this goes back to my book, Raising the Standard. It goes back to the book of Silent No More. Actually, Raising the Standard was saying, if we don't do something, this is what's going to happen. And uh, Silent No More says, well, we didn't do anything, so here's what's happening. And as a result of that, here we are with probably a larger percentage of those who claim to be Christians who don't understand the essential doctrines of salvation. Exactly. So that survey showed the serious downgrade of all the 10 areas that I identified in the book Silent No More. And um, the actor, by the way, um, I just read this a moment ago, <clears throat> the actor Jim Cavellas, is that right? He said, uh, unless uh, Christians, if the Christians remain silent, Christian culture will be no more. 
that this Christian way of living will soon be gone. He said that in an interview with LifeSet News just this week. Wow. So you, you've got people seeing this, and we're seeing it right now. I'm telling you, the next 28 days uh, until the day of election, mm-hmm. uh, it's we, we need to wake up and understand that if Christians don't take a stand between now and November 3rd, um, America's going to become immersed in socialism, Marxist socialism. Our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren is going to be growing up, or they're going to be growing up in communism. Because here's the problem. Unless Christians begin to speak up in this election, the voice of the confessing church will be silenced, not by decree, but by default. Wow. In other words, we've got to get out of our four square, my four and no more. We've got to see what's happening in this world. And we're about to lose uh, what little we have left of the Judeo-Christian values because simply we just acquiesced. Mm. We just acquiesced to that. Exactly. So that's where we are in the church, and it's not good. Um, so the downfall is here. So I, I wish it were different, and there may be churches, individual mm. churches, where they're doing a great work in their respective communities, but the church as a whole has forfeited its platform to even speak regarding the issues of the day because it, the church has compromised its own convictions. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett was recently chided because, I think to quote, the dogma of her church lived loudly within her. Yes. And that's a criticism. Mm-hmm. Would to God that that would be true of every born-again believer in Christ, that the dogma of what we believe and why we believe it would uh, live loudly within us everywhere we go. That's called salt and light, by the way. Exactly. And the, and the, um, the fast pace of apostasy that has grown exponentially throughout churches today is just astounding to me. Um, and even people in my own life that, you know, claimed to be believers at one point have now completely turned against God and living, you know, lives that they know are totally against God's ways. And it is just, it's just heartbreaking. And it's hard to um, figure out, you know, how do you, how do you help them? Well, one thing I've decided, not, I'm not going to buy any more theological books until the author dies. That way they can't change their mind, <laughs> but uh, can't change their views about God. Mm-hmm. But, but you, again, you have to have that discerning spirit. And we've got to be careful that we don't become, uh, um, look to the icons of the Christian faith and rather rather than look to Christ. Yes. In other words, we, we follow Christ. We learn from others, but we follow Christ. Yes. Um, Otherwise, we lose our respect. I mean, you think about all the people that followed Jim Jones, for example, and other gurus of that nature, and the Moonies, uh, and all those different groups over, over on, on the left-hand side over here. They were they were taken in. Mm-hmm. And yes, you, 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 you said something about apostasy. It's I expect every week to see some major Christian writer, author, singer. I no longer believe in God. Well, beloved, um, you better read Hebrews because there's no way back. That's right. You better think about there's no way back from that. That is, apostasy is the sin from which there is no return. Right. Because that is against the Holy Spirit. You are refusing you, you, him. You, you, you are bucking the Holy Spirit. You're saying the Holy Spirit is not leading you. In essence, you've given, your, you've given yourself over to the, sustain, the satanic spirit. Mm. 
Yes, I just I just really think we are in a, at a dangerous place there, and um, you know we just finished the book of Hebrews. I just taught that with uh, about twenty five to thirty women, and um, so many eyes were opened to the unfolding of redemption, the whole story, and how right. it's all put together. And it was just it was so refreshing because I think that's one of my favorite books of the Bible. But um, just to watch. You know the dots being connected, and um, com- and being able to see what's happening in culture today, in line with Scripture and how God's story plays out, um, it's just it's just amazing to me. So, how do you think we got so far off course as far as the church goes and um, with our nation? Well, I get asked this question quite a bit, but in either get hysterical or historical whichever one you want to say (laughs) but church historians they believe the Laodicean church type of church started in the early 1900s a lot of the revivalist movements were basically Laodicean they were they were orchestrated by man for the benefit of man for the idea of church growth so in other words while the true believers were very involved in the Philadelphia type churches again world missions local ministries clear uncompromised message of the gospel the laodicean type churches were growing in the background they were beginning to compromise their methods they were beginning to compromise their messages just to attract people to their particular brand style of church Mm -hmm. and so the church that started the church growth movement if you will right well that exploded right after world war ii and then it really exploded in the 80s and 90s with I don't mind saying it, Bill Hybels and Rick Warren philosophy of church growth, because that that went over into an area of compromising your convictions in order we become we become all things to all people that we might we might win some. Right. That was their philosophy. But uh, when you compare that philosophy of ministry to what I call the true New Testament discipleship model, of which you've been a part and you are a product of. Uh, even Hybels at the end of his failed ministry said uh, failed not only in his ministry but also in his marriage he said it was a mistake for people to for them to make people dependent upon them for their personal spiritual growth rather than helping them focus more on the model of personal discipleship that Jesus set before us mm. and so that's where we are we, we've gotten our minds off of the way Jesus said we ought to operate church because it's, it takes longer. You're not going to see the explosive growth. You're not going to see the fancy things and the, all the different things. Right. No, it's, it's, it's more, but it's depth growth. It's like a building. The depth of that building has to be equal to the height of that building, or else otherwise the building's going to fall. And I see that. I see that the human humanistic type churches are falling today. Numerical growth has been the enemy of spiritual maturity. Of, hmm. of the modern Christian. The reason people do not believe they have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord is because they've been told they don't have to. Wow. They aren't expected to. Mm-hmm. I raised my hand. I, did, I got my dip in the pool. I said the prayer, which try to find me a prayer, that you know, of, the, of, of a prayer of, of confession of a faith in the Bible. It's not there. But we bought into these cheap caricatures of the gospel, and that's kind of where we are. So um, 
uh, we're in a pickle right now. And quite frankly, apart from a divine intervention, I don't, I don't know the way back. There's mm-hmm. no human way. There's no human solution to this problem. Right. Which One more is, program's not going to solve it. Exactly. Which is what I was going to ask you next. How do we turn this ship around? Um, but it, it does have to be on our knees and divine intervention for God to just, you know, just show up big and for his spirit to be what is driving the growth of a church, not anything else. Well, the devil has his own intentions for this COVID-19 problem. and then, uh, But as I think God has done so many times, as God did throughout the scriptures, and that's why they're there. That's why these stories and events are there. God can turn this around. Mm-hmm. God can turn this around, and he can use it for our good. But at this point, I, I'm not sure... Uh, I'm not sure today's church leaders are willing to pay the price to do that. I'm not sure they're willing to humble themselves before a holy God, much less be submissive to his will. Mm-hmm. Because this takes this is going to take humbling. The president of the Southern Baptist Convention seems to think that the three main issues facing our convention today are, number one, critical race theory, number two, intersectionality, and number three, feminism. Wow. Every Every major denomination is losing members. And yet today's denomination leaders seem to think the answer, well, we just need to abandon the true gospel and go out and address these deeply embedded cultural issues for which there is no human solution. I don't get it. Right. We lost 1.8 million members in the SBC, and he thinks the discussion on on critical race theory is going to change that. I don't think so. So I have the greatest respect for Jonathan Kahn. I know that you just read his book. Yes. Uh, you put that on your Facebook feed. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with Jonathan on every jot and tittle of doctrine. I'm sure you don't either. Right. But I respect him, and I respect I respect Franklin Graham, and I did everything I could to support their recent call to repentance because I think this is the only answer. Right. But it's with all due respect, it's not going to be a major call. It's going to be in the mm-hmm. in the in the breakfast room and in the, in the dens of, the, of people's homes and then maybe in the homes of multiple families and so it's going to be uh, an organic movement of people really surrendering under the lordship of christ but here's my question where were our denominational leaders and pastors in that call to national repentance hmm. did you ever hear them say anything about it nope. why is it that parent church organizations seem to be more aware of the spiritual temperature of the universal body of Christ than today's pastors. The wow. church is crying out for spiritual leaders, mm-hmm. but sadly the majority of pastors today uh, are the, the products of this church growth movement. That's, they've been ingrained with this philosophy right? rather than the call to true spiritual growth. Majority of pastors have never been personally discipled by anyone, so therefore they cannot give somebody what they do not have. So apart from God's divine intervention, um, there's no way to turn this ship around. And again, unless Christians speak up in this next election, uh, the ship itself could be dry docked. It could be mothballed. It could be it could be silenced. If you see what's going on in China today, okay, here's a watchman. Here's a watchman theory. Mm-hmm. What we see in China today could be happening over here tomorrow if we let China take control. Right. And what are they doing? They won't let a building have a cross. They have to put up the pictures of their world leaders. Mm. So what 
what we see going on today in other parts of the world is going to happen here. I was in England for uh, the last two years doing a conference, and I'm going to tell you, the first time I went, it broke my heart. I, I almost couldn't preach because in almost every evangelical church, you have the Church of England flag out front, but you also have the rainbow flag on the other side. Oh, wow. And then I, I, I really begged and pleaded and you know cried and pitched a fit for my host to take me into London because I wanted to see where Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached. I wanted to see where John and Charles Wesley, Wesley finally realized they were religious but not saved there at Aldersgate. And so my wife and I went there and we stood on the other side of the, of the main highway across from uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon's church. The, of course, the structure has changed, but the place is still there. And you know, I broke my heart. You know, many years ago, 5,000 people gathered in that barn of a building. No power, no electricity, no running water, no facilities, <laughs> no, no electronics. He preached to 5,000 people on Sunday morning and again, 5,000 people on a Sunday afternoon. Wow. And Melody, we stood there and watched these thousands and thousands of cars go by that great tabernacle. They may have had 350 the previous Sunday in attendance in that church. But here's the problem. Those thousands of people went by that place without a clue as to what happened there years ago or what effect it had on Christianity today. Wow. Charles Haddon Spurgeon's our sermons are still being published, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then we got on the chute and the tube or whatever you want to call it and went, came up another place and we went to Aldersgate. Same thing. There were Charles and, and John Wesley, probably the two of the greatest influences of Christianity today. But, and yes, they have visitors who will come, maybe Methodists from around the world that will come and want to be a part of that. But the average person is walking by there every day. They do not have a clue as to what happened there or what it meant to evangelicalism today. I'm wow. going to tell you, one of these days, Johnny and his father are going to be walking down the street. Daddy, what's that big old building with a spire going up? And what is that cross on the top? What is that? Well, Johnny, that's where people used to go to church. That's where people used to worship God. Wow. And people just don't, I don't think they really realize that something like that can happen here. It can happen. And it's already happening. Next year. It can happen next year in this country. Right. And I I can't tell you who or when, but I can tell you that it is absolute the fear of many of the people who are in charge of what's going on right now. Mm. See, it's time the corporate body of Christ had a day of repentance. We, you and I have had some wonderful times in praise gatherings, and we've had some great times in, in retreats and fellowship. I'm telling you, right now, we need an on our face before the Lord repentance. And uh, just, I say it from the pulpit take a legal pad, couple of them if you need it, write down every sin. Mm. And you start confessing one sin at a time. You call that sin out, and you name that sin. And you, and you do go through the process of repentance of that sin, and then the reconciliation of that sin where possible, and then you make restitution where possible. That's where you clean yourself up. That's what the church needs to do. Right. If we want God to be serious with us, we have, must fall on our face before him and be reconciled unto him. Why? Because the spiritual lives of our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren are hanging in the balance. Amen. Totally, totally agree with all of that. Um, and as we are 
getting close to the end of our time together, um, I'd found this one one line, I guess, in your book called um, Silent No More. And it says, the only hope for the next generation in America is for God's people to rise up, rid themselves of the fear and of persecution, and be silent no more. I think that goes along with our repentant heart is falling on our faces before God and then also rising up. I heard someone gave the definition of what does it mean um, to repent and you know it means to turn but confession is when you're going down on your knees and the return part is when uh, repentance is when you get up and then you walk away from those sins and i thought that was just such a beautiful picture because it calls for action on both ends but you can't stop there. Right. I mean, that, that's, that, that's okay between you and the Lord. But how many other people were affected by your sin? Well, true, uh, how, true. How is a pastor going to make reconciliation for not preaching the whole counsel of the Word of God? Mm-hmm. Similar that has to be dealt with. And I respect uh, Bill Hybels for what he said. He made a mistake. He got it wrong. And I have more respect for him than I did before mm-hmm. because he, he admitted his error. Right. So that's where we must be, and we're going to have to go back and start from the scratch again. It may be this COVID thing may cause, may bring it about. We may see the downturn of the church in order that it might be reversed uh, with a with a new with a new biblical vision of a true New Testament church. Hmm. And that would be wonderful. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It would be wonderful. I would love it. Well, I um, am so honored that you would take time out to be on the Living Real podcast with me and talk about things that really matter to both of us and to lots of other people. Um, And sometimes there are things that people don't want to say out loud, but I think it needs to be said. Well, the people don't want to hear it. Some people don't want to hear it because it kind of messes up their happy bubble. (laughs) But, but, But we need to be penetrated with the truth right now more than ever before because a lot of things are on the line right now. Mm, Yes, exactly. And we've got to, um, we have got to get back in the word and preach the word and live the word so that people can see Jesus Christ in our lives. Be that salt and light that you're talking about. Well, can I pray for you before we um, conclude this? Please do. Please do. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this uh, small amount of time that we've been able to carve out tonight and and chat with Wayne and um, hear his heart, Father, and just his um, heartache, Lord, for the church and for where she is at the moment and for where she could be headed, Lord, if we don't turn it around. And God, I just pray for him and for Linda, for his family, for their church, Lord, that you would um, just pour an extra measure of your grace and protection over them during this time, that you would um, keep their candle burning bright, that you would keep Wayne healthy and able to preach, Father, from your word with power and with boldness and with conviction. Um, as he opens it to um, bring it to the people. I thank you for what he's meant in my life and Rick's life and um, many others that we are friends with. And I just thank you, Lord, for um, just the example that they have set before us to follow. And I pray, Father, that we would continue 
to look to you for direction, for wisdom, for guidance, and that you would help us to continue touch life after life after life for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's in your most precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you so very much. Well, thank you, Wayne. And you take care and we will talk soon. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's a wrap, you guys. I pray today's conversation has encouraged you, challenged you, and most of all, pointed you to the source of our faith, Jesus. If you would like to know more about Living Real Magazine, please visit our website at livingrealmag.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Living Real Mag. And until next time, remember, let's keep it real for Jesus' sake.